0: Happy to be here uh, with y'all. Isaiah chapter 44, uh, starting in verse 21. um, And we're going to read all the way to verse 22. And it says this. Remember these things, Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, Israel. You will never be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgression like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak to us, Father, simply and profoundly. We thank you for the promises that you make to us, God. We're so used to... Hearing promises that we don't believe because we're used to people over-promising. Would you remind us that that is not you. You never over-promise. Help us not just to believe your word, but to remember your goodness, God. We pray that you would speak to us through your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all take your seat? Um, one of the things that I've learned and I've reflected on lately, this year has just been a year of reflection for me. I've thought a lot about the past and friendships and people that I know and have lost in different seasons. And one of the lessons that I've learned um, is that we are at the mercy of our memory. We are at the mercy of our memory. Not our history. We're at the mercy of our memory. Here's what I mean by that. Um, when it comes to our memories, there's two things we have to know. One is this uh, we can't control them as much as we think. Right? Keyword can't. We can't. There's things. Uh, that we'd like to remember, but we don't, right? We want to remember where we put our car keys, right? Some of y'all were late this morning because you couldn't find those, right? We want to remember uh, the punchlines to our favorite jokes. We want to remember lyrics to our favorite songs, but we can't, for any of you that have lost loved ones. We want to remember their facial expressions and their voices, and sometimes we can't. We can't control our memories as much as we think. There are things we'd like to remember, but we can't. But there's also things that we would like to forget, but we can't, right? Candyman, right? The first time I saw it as a kid, I still <laughs> cannot shake right, that from my mind, right? Nightmares are these images that have seared themselves in our brain and we're trying to forget them, but we can't. We can't control our memory as much as we think. But this is the other reason why I say that we're at the mercy of our memories. Um, It's not just that we can't control them as much as we think. It's that um, our memories actually control us more than we would imagine. Your memory. Not your history shapes your present. History is this. I schedule a meeting for this past week at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. I didn't follow through with that meeting. 12 o'clock on Tuesday came, and I lived as if I had nothing to do, not because of my history, my history was fixed. My memory. It slipped me, and when you forget things, you start to realize, oh, wait a minute, it's not my history that shapes me, it's my memory, not your history, it affects your present, all right? So all of that is just a little Coke bottle, right? Here's the little piece of Mentos that makes things explosive. When you talk about our memories, that's one thing, but then start to talk about how sin And when people sin against you comes into that tank, then things start to blow up. Here's what I mean. Um, When it comes to our memories, uh, we can't forget the mistakes that people made in their past against us. It's not that we're actively holding a grudge. It's just that it's very hard to forget when somebody does you wrong that those wounds that they cause leave scars. Those scars that are there tell stories and those scarred stories love to be retold. And I don't care how much ointment of an apology you rub on top of those scars, those scars do not go away. It's hard for us to forget mistakes that people make in their past. And it's not just that it's hard to forget those when people have done us wrong, it becomes very hard to remember the good that they've done, right? So we start to paint folks as all good or all bad, not based on their history, but based on our memory. Sometimes that person is yourself. Sometimes that person is somebody else. Oftentimes, that person is God. The author of history is often put on trial. And the prosecution is not history. It's your memory. It's not that God hasn't been trustworthy. It's that our memories have been distorted and tainted. And we don't trust him. And when you don't trust somebody, you don't go to that person for what you need. So when you feel yourselves, full of despair and in need of hope, you go to any and everything but him. You go to substances. You go to the relationships that you know, that you know are not good for you. You go to vegging out. You go to all of these types of things. Or if I could put it this way. No, no, no. The reason why you may find yourself stuck in an addictive cycle that you can't get out of is not because you're not trying hard to do the right thing. It may be that your memory of God is flawed. So the reflex of your soul doesn't go to Him when you should, because there is some deep distrust that you have for Him in your heart. Not because of history, but because of your memory. We are at the mercy of our memories. And they lead us to dangerous places. The answer is not in you trying harder. That's why I use the word can't at the beginning. There's things that we want to remember, but we can't. If anything, all that we need today is a reminder. So think of this morning as an alarm clock. Think of this morning as me just trying to help paint a renewed vision of God in your mind so that the next time you find yourself needing to run to hope somewhere, that the reflex of your soul runs to God and not to that destructive thing that you've been trying to get rid of for so long. All right, Isaiah. This is where we find ourselves in. Isaiah was a prophet, all right? Isaiah prophesied against two things, right? Uh, Primarily the personal, individual idolatry of the people, but he also prophesied against the systemic injustices that the leaders allowed and propagated. The book of Isaiah is split up into two halves. Chapter 1 through 39 is all about the judgment, what God is going to do about both of those things. Isaiah 40 to 66 is all about the hope, all right? Most scholars believe That by the time people are reading this, Isaiah is already dead. So Isaiah chapter 44 is an alarm clock that he set that's going to go off after his death date to remind people about the goodness of God. Israel has just been brought back from this traumatic experience where they as a nation were displaced for years. And now they're brought back rebuilding their new Nation And Isaiah wants to give them a reminder. He wants to talk to them, not primarily about what they've done, but about what God has done. He wants to spend his time on memory, but not about their memory of their past wrongs, but their memory of God's past faithfulness. And what he's trying to help them see is this, no, no, look, look, look. We may be at the mercy of our memories, but God is not. So he's going to help them see two things, all right? I want you to remember, I want you to see something that is permanent, something that is fixed, and I want you to see something that is passing away to get this full-orbed picture of God. Here's the first thing. Uh, What is permanent is God's love and affection. Hear this. For you. God's love and affection for you. Um, do you remember being at summer camp when you were a little kid? And you meet that guy or that girl and you are convinced, right, at 12 years old that you met the love of your life. And you say things like, right, as you leave and go home, I'll never forget you. And then the school year starts and you re-meet the love of your life at school and you forgot all about what's her name, right? This is not that. God is not some camp lover that says, I'll never forget you. God is not a politician. Politics is all about over-promising, right? All the way from the presidency to... Do you remember being in school when the class president? Every year, I remember being in fifth grade and people were running for class president and they promised coke machines in the ju- and it's like we voted for them and were disappointed when we realized they overpromised. God is not a politician. God is not a camp lover. When God says something, He really, really means it. Look here at verse. 21, he starts off and he says this, look, remember these things, Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant, I formed you, you are my servant, Israel, you will never be forgotten by me. Right there, those two words, God's calling us to remember, and he's saying he will never forget, it helps us see that this verse right here is all about our memory. This verse right here is all about this mental work, recalling and reflecting This work is God saying, no, 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 there's something that you should know that should have been permanent in your mind that you've forgotten. I need you to do the work to remember that, but I also need you to remember that I don't need to do the work in that same way. I'm not going to forget you. God's saying, my love and affection is something that's permanent. This is God's call, listen, not just to remember the past, but to remember it accurately, I've been reading a whole lot on uh, trauma and grief and memory. And um, I came across this one uh, journal article that's all about how it is that we remember the past. And I just want you to hear this. They bring up, they, they said, when it comes to trauma, our memories are prone to distortion. It says this, look, after a traumatic experience, or after a traumatic experience, Intentional remembering, effortful retrieval, and unintentional remembering, intrusive mental imagery can introduce, look at this, new details that over time assimilate into a person's memory for the event. People tend to remember more trauma than they experience. And those who do, tend to exhibit more of the re-experiencing symptoms associated with PTSD. What they're trying to bring up is this. No, look, your memory is not as reliable as you think that it is. That as time goes on, there's some times where you'll actually remember details that you forgot. And so years go by and you're experiencing this trauma in a worse way than you did when it actually took place. And there are also times where as time goes on, you'll actually remember things that didn't happen to you, but you'll rewrite this story as if it did, and it affects you. Their point is this, no, 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 no. Our memories are not as reliable as we think that they are. So God is calling them at the beginning, no, no, no. God saying, look, I want you to do this work and I want you to remember about me because my history is being put on trial by your memory. I love what he says after these two, right? Look at this. Remember these things and look at what he says. Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. Israel, you will never be forgotten by me. You have to ask yourself, why does he use those two names? When those two names are the same person. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the father of the faith. Jacob's track record was horrendous. From birth, from before birth, he was trying to get ahead unfairly. He was born. He schemed a way to cheat his brother, uh, deceive his father. He spent his lifetime in deception. He had 13 different kids by four baby mamas. They all lived on the same block. And when his daughter was abused and taken advantage of, Jacob responded with apathy. That's Genesis 34, the height of his failure. Genesis 35, he wrestles with God and God makes him a promise and God changes his name to Israel. God literally takes this man that is morally as bad as it gets, at least at that point in the Bible. And God literally forms him and changes him into this nation that's going to carry the promise of displaying God's goodness to the world and God saying this, Jacob, no, I formed you. If I made you and I shaped you and I redeemed you and I changed you, I'm not going to forget you. You're mine. The reason why God says it like this and is going to use the word formed is because prior to this, he just came off a section of warning people about idolatry. And What he says is this, no, no, look, you and I have a tendency not to trust in the God that formed us, but to use our hand and to form these little gods of our own. You and I have a tendency to try to look for hope in the things that we devote ourselves to. So we love our jobs and we work really hard on our jobs to make a lasting impact and we don't realize uh, your job doesn't have a memory. Love your job all you want to, give yourself to your job all you want to, and when you leave it is not going to take a long time for everybody on your job to forget you. We give our time to the approval of people and we work Really, really hard to make sure that people have a good impression of us. And work as hard as you can. But do you know what's going to take place one day? Regardless of how much people care about you and love you. One day you're going to die. And people are going to go to your funeral. And they're going to say all these great things about you. And then after they leave, they're going to go to lunch and talk about the weather. He's saying, no, no, look, you're forming all of these things, but these things don't love you like you love them. These things are not going to remember you like you've given yourself to them. And he said, no, no, look, but I'm different. Here's what stands in the way of us really believing that. When God says that he loves us, you and I tend to respond like we do when our family says that they love us, right? It's like, oh, I know, I know, I know. Um, But I don't think that we do. Here are two things that stand in the way of that. The very first thing is this, the now. Looks can be very deceiving. And one of the things that makes it so hard to believe that God loves us Is how life is happening right now, that we look at the now and we say, God, if you love me and I'm experiencing this level of depression and loss and trials and betrayal, I would hate to see what you do to people that you don't like. That we look at our life in the now and we say, I don't feel like God loves me because if he loved me, things should go a certain way. And they don't. So the now keeps us from believing that God really loves us. The now keeps us from believing that God hasn't forgotten us because, look, I started taking care of plants in the pandemic. And for the most part, all of my plants are alive. I've got one plant that uh, didn't make it, and it didn't make it because I forgot about it. And what I said is, oh, no, 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 look, look, look. That little ivy that is shriveling there, no, it's that way because I forgot about it. And we feel like, no, God, right now, I'm shriveling. And you're telling me you haven't forgot about me? I don't believe it. Sometimes the now is hard because looks can be deceiving, but it's not just the now that stands in the way of us believing that. Um, Sometimes the then or the later stands in the way. Here's what I mean by that. Um, We don't believe that God's promises to us can be true, that his love for us can be permanent because Even if everybody else has the best impression of us, we don't have the best impression of ourselves. We know that we're flawed, we know that we're broken, and that's what makes us so insecure. All right, God, I say that you love me now, but what happens when you see the things that I've been trying to hide for so long? That's what makes marriage or any other type of commitment so terrifying on the front end, Because you stand up with somebody that you know, but at the end of the day, y'all are still very much strangers. And you say that you're going to, for better or worse, or all of that. But then as time goes on, you know, no, 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 wait a minute. What if they actually see the worst about me? How can you guarantee now that your love and affection for me will never change? I don't believe it. I'm insecure. God, I know you'll remember me. I know you won't forget me. But it's like Dave Chappelle says, um, there's two ways to be remembered. You can be famous or infamous. We remember our heroes. We also remember villains. We remember MLK, but nobody forgets Hitler. And what we say is, God, no, 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 how can you be absolutely sure that you're going to love me when things really, really go south? Do you know why? Because God's not just at the mercy of his memory like we are. God is also the author of history. God can guarantee that kind of love. uh, Because the new discoveries that you make about your sin disillusion you. But God is not disillusioned about those things. God knows what was under the hood before he made the commitment to you. In college, uh, Richard uh, members this, I, um, you, you know, I came to college and I was driving a Ford Escort, a blue station wagon, the little windshield in the back, wiper, it it never went off, right? It just rained or shine, it was gone. And so at the semester break, I go back home, um, and at this time when I grew up, there's a lot of folks that are young in here, so y'all may not have known these. Uh, we had these things called newspapers, and that's where we... <laughs> That's where we found our car. So I went and I found this car, this green Mazda 626. Um, and I bought it $2,500 cash and uh, drove back up to the school. Uh, and then I drove back home uh, for a break and it was cold at the time. and I turned on the heat at the beginning of my three hour drive and was blowing the air out. And three hours later, I was freezing. I popped the hood. Uh, I take it to a mechanic and they say, hey, man, there's no heating core in your Mazda 626. And I sat back and I said, yo, if I would have known that this car was this deficient, I never would have bought it. Um, God knew what was under your hood before he chose to get you. God was not surprised when he popped the hood and said, oh, this one is... Uh, missing a little bit of the diligence that should have been here. <laughs> like, oh, this one is missing a little bit of the self-control. and uh, This one is missing patience. It's not like he's shocked. But God said, no, 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 I already knew that was there. And my involvement in their life is to put those things in. So when God says you'll never be forgotten, we can rest in the fact that his love for us is permanent. Not just that his love for us is permanent, permanent. Here's what's passing away. What's passing away is this, God's anger and disappointment towards your sin. This is where the good news kicks in. All right, look at Isaiah 44, verse 22, and it says this, look, look, I've swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. What Isaiah's gonna do here, he's gonna borrow from Isaiah 43, 25, and he says this in Isaiah 43, 25. Look, uh, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Do you know what Isaiah 44 has that Isaiah 43 doesn't have? A metaphor, a picture. Do you know why? Because God is not just somebody out here giving propositional truths. God is a poet and God wants to sing these things so you don't forget them. What poetry and what songs have are these things called metaphors and similes. And the importance of these things are is they're able to capture these complex truths so that you don't forget them. All right, little bit of exercise, right? Crowd work, question, there is a picture up here on the screen Uh, What is this cute little girl holding? Balloon. Uh, It's a trick question, okay? Um, She's not actually holding a balloon. She's... uh, No, 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 it's not... All right, y'all can stop trying to guess now. I'm I'm just going to give you the answer. Um, She's not holding a string. She's holding helium. There's a... You can fill a balloon with air and it'll hit the ground. But what causes that balloon to flow is helium. Look, the balloon is the package that she holds in it in That package makes that complex gas holdable and shareable. If, if we were to bring this little girl to life and then bring her on stage, and we said, hey, I've got helium, and I want you to hold it in your hands, and then I want you to pass it around the room and give everybody a chance to hold that. No, no, The gas is too complex to be held in the hands. There's got to be something else that makes it holdable and shareable. That's what metaphors do. So listen, when God says this, no, look, look, look. I'm going to sweep away your sins like a cloud. Now we have to sit and say, oh, wait a minute, what does he mean by that? And when you start to draw meaning from it, it's something amazing. Look at this. When God said he's going to sweep away your sins like a cloud, when it comes to clouds, clouds have this different level of transience. Clouds and mists, once they're gone, they never leave impressions that they were there in the first place. Your footprints in sand, you can be gone, but we can look and say, oh, no, like somebody was here. Chicken pox when you were a kid, they can be gone, but the scars that you scratched they're there, right? When somebody sits in your seat be- before you do and you come in and that warmth is like, ah, somebody was in my seat, <laughs> right? Like there's all of these uncomfortable things that they, they leave an impression that they were there you can track the way that the stars move. You cannot track clouds once they're gone. When a cloud is gone, there is never, there is not a shred of evidence that it was ever there in the first place. So when God's saying, look, your sin, that thing that you can't seem to forget, that thing that you can't get past, that thing that you're spending your time making promises in the future, to undo what I did in the past, God's saying, I swept it away like a cloud. There's no evidence that it was ever there in the first place. Talk about a clean slate. This is what God's saying. Look, and he puts that truth in a metaphor so that you can hold it and so that you can share it. That's how God sees your sin. When it is gone, it is gone, gone. But this metaphor is good on so many levels. When it comes to a cloud being swept away, the one thing that you have to sit with is this. I don't care how powerful your lungs are. You do not have the ability or power to move a cloud. It seems simple enough, doesn't it? But have you ever like gone outside on a foggy morning and tried to blow with all of your might to remove the flog? You haven't because you know it's silly. You know that there's no point. You know that you don't have the strength to move it. Oh, it's the same way with sin. It seems so simple, right? It seems like, no, all right, look, 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 all right. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to tell myself this is going to be the last time, and it's really going to be the last time, and I'm just going to blow away this cloud of sin that has been in my life. And you realize, oh, no, it doesn't work like that. And because we can't move it, we feel that those things are permanent. It's not a permanence problem. It's a personnel problem. You've got the wrong person trying to move that cloud. Oh, but when it comes to the God that we serve, it says here, no, no. God's going to sweep away that cloud. What takes us so much strength to do the God that we serve can do it effortlessly. The trauma that has spanned generations, the systems that affect people here on this earth. that nobody can seem to get past, that we've collectively, as humanity, spent our existence trying to fix, one day God's going to fix all those things in an instant. God says that that sin won't leave any lasting mark on God's memory. Do you know why? Because in Christ Jesus, God has swept all those things up. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the just and the holy God that we serve, uh, God doesn't just ignore things. For a just and a holy judge, for a judge to ignore things that have gone wrong would be a great injustice. All right, a a couple months ago, I had FedEx stole this camera from me. Um, I think I talked about this last time. I got it back But what made it hard was that everybody I appealed to was ignoring me. And I'm like, no, 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 this is unjust. When it comes to our sin, when it comes to the things that we've done wrong, I want you to hear this. These rain clouds of our sin, they have been swept away, but it is not God sweeping them under a rug. They haven't been ignored but they have been concentrated and gathered. Here's the things about thunderclouds. Do you know what makes clouds white? The water droplets in the sky that make our sky look blue, when they gather in these clouds, the light scatters so much and so evenly that what it does is it reflects as white. Okay, you know what makes thunderclouds dark? Those water droplets, they get so big and they gather together. And when those droplets are gathered together, the light doesn't scatter. The light is absorbed. So the light can't pass through. In Numbers chapter 6, when... Moses is going to talk about God's approval shining down on us. He's going to use that word shining down as a picture of the sun so that we feel, no, in the same way that we can feel the warmth from a day that is not cloudy, in the same way that we feel that unobstructed warmth from the sun, that's what he wants us to feel from God's pleasure. The problem is Those rain clouds of our sin stand in the way. God says "It's no, no, look. I'm going to sweep away all of those rain clouds, which is good news for us. But I want you to know those rain clouds have gathered over somebody. And that somebody is the Lord Jesus. It's interesting. When you go to the Gospels and you see Jesus on the cross, There's a couple of things that take place. Anybody that knows anything about crucifixion knows that when somebody is crucified, you don't die by blood. You don't die by bleeding out. You die by asphyxiation, choking. Your lungs fill up with blood. It makes it incredibly hard and painful to talk. As Jesus is on the cross, it's interesting because the gospel writers spend a lot of time recording his last words. These last words are spoken in extreme pain. So they're important. Jesus isn't just speaking them for him, he's speaking them for us. He says words to God, to his mom, to the world, but if you trace the words that he says to God, you'll get this storyline. You know the first words that he says to God when he's on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's using his final breath to say, no, no, God, look, 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 look. These people are going after the wrong thing, but it's because they have the wrong conception of you. They haven't taken your history into account, but their memory, and Jesus is saying, God, I want you to forgive them. I'm not hurling down a curse on them. I'm not judging them for their past, I'm speaking words of future blessing, God forgive them, people that haven't asked for it. But do you know the next word that he says to God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what you see is this storyline. God is in fact sweeping away those rain clouds But they have gathered over the Lord Jesus. So when he talks about drinking that cup of wrath, it is this thunderstorm of God's wrath. Look, that should have been poured out on all of us, was poured out on Jesus. He was forsaken so that you and I would never be forgotten. That's the good news of the gospel. So then at the end, his final words are, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. This is part of your plan. I agree with it. And then he ends off and shares to the world, it's finished. It's done. This part of history has been written. It's over. It can't be edited. And then he raises from the dead and charges his disciples to go and tell people about the goodness of God. So in Acts 2, Peter stands up, and he looks at this crowd of folks, and he says, hey, do y'all remember how y'all killed Jesus? Look, look, look. History. But he says, oh, no, no, listen. But if you'll repent and turn and believe, things can change for you going forward. God swept away those rain clouds like he promised to do in the past. And you see people changing, not by their willpower, not by promises they've made for the future, but simply by redeeming their memory. If anything, I think all of this goes into if there's one thing Thing one phrase that I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. God can't forget you, and He won't remember your sin. Isaiah's trying to get that point. No, no, no. Look. I know you may feel forgotten. I know you may feel like God will want to forget you one day for something you do in the future. But His point is this: No, no, no. God can't forget you. God will not forget you. And God won't remember your sin. Why? Because he's done away with your sin. The thing that I love about this is it's all about the work of Jesus. It's all about the work of God. It's not about your work. So the only thing that he calls them to do, look, are these two things. Remember and return. Return to God. No, no, listen. Return. You have to come back. I love here that the word repent is not in here, not because I don't think that that's not a right word or a true word or not included in this, not for his sake, I'm glad for our sake, because I think sometimes when we hear the word repentance from our sake, we tend to think turning away from sin, which is one part, but it's not just turning away from sin, because you can turn away from one idol and run into the arms of another, right, you can give up, right, porn and throw yourself completely into your job. So what he's saying is, no, no, look, look, return to me. This is God saying, no, 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 just come back. Continue to do the same thing. What I love about a command to return is this. Um, It's about consistency, and repetition. It's not just a one-time act. It's not something that you've got to do and it's going to take you a long time. It's, it is a mantra to live by. It's just something that we daily do. It is a habit. It is a way of living because our hearts are constantly going to go after other things. And so remembering this helps us not just to return to God once, but to consistently do it. And what you find out is that, oh, the power behind a habit comes not in how hard you work, but how consistent it is. You go to the dentist. The dentist tells you, I want you to brush your teeth for two minutes a day, two times a day, and come and see me in six months. That's 700 minutes of toothbrushing. Do you know what you can't do? You can't not brush your teeth for six months and the day before you go in say, I'm going to spend 12 hours and I'm going to catch up. It doesn't work like that. No, no, no. Listen, the power is in the simple, daily, ordinary, repetitive, continuing to do those same things, returning. If you miss a morning or if you miss a night, it happens. Just try not to miss two in a row. When it comes to our relationship with God and the simple disciplines of reading and reflecting and rejoicing and praising and the discipline of getting up in the morning and finding ourselves here to just be reminded of the good things of God It's a, if you miss a day or two, that's fine. Just don't try to miss two in a row. Return. And do you know what fuels us? What fuels the practice of that is this last word. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Remembering what God has done. As we think about the journey from Jacob to Israel, I think we're reminded of this. We are at the mercy of our memories, but God is not at the mercy of your memory, which means this. On your very worst day, on the day that you crossed the line that you said you would never cross again, on the day that you did the thing that you said you would never do again, on your very worst day, God does not feel about you the way that you feel about you. On your very worst day, God does not have the words of condemnation for you that you so easily and effortlessly have for yourself. But if we're ever going to change, we've got to remember. We've got to be captivated by what the Lord has done and one of the best ways to remember is to invite somebody else in on the conversation. Um, Me and Pastor Rich this past week were reminiscing over uh, college days. There was this you can't tell now uh, but I used to have this like beautiful head of hair. My waves were incredible and we had this little we had this wave off. This is 17 years ago, where we brought in judges. Um, I'm going somewhere, I promise, just like the cloud thing, all right? We had a competition, and Richard texts me, and he's like, yo, like that time that I won the wave, off. and it's like, fam, you didn't win. I won, right? And we were back and forth, um, And in order to settle our distorted memories, we had to bring in a friend, a third person into the mix. And uh, Nate came in and he thought that he won, but the point that I'm trying to make is this. Because our memories aren't as reliable as we think that they are, one of the best tools that you have at your disposal, especially when it comes to the goodness of God, are the people that are sitting right next to you. That when we forget, when we are entrenched in how bad things feel now or when we're scared of how bad things may be for us later, one of the best gifts that we have or the people that God had placed around us that can just sit back and help us say, no, 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 I think you're misremembering some of the goodness of God. Let me help you remember. Let me recall back the things that God has done. God can't forget you. God won't Remember your sin. Remember that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your incredible goodness and your kindness towards us, Father. We thank you that you haven't abandoned us, even though we may feel abandoned at times. I pray that when our surroundings testify to the fact that you've forgotten us, that we would be reminded um, that your memory is perfect. It's impossible for you to forget those of us that are your children. God, I pray that you would help us to live in the victory that comes with being reminded that our most important work here in this life is to remember your most important work on our behalf, our salvation, the resurrection of your son, and the peace that we have. Fill us with a sense of peace today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.